Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Hi, this is Bob, 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 And now, it's time for the show, This Old Dungeon, the show where grognards go to get their grog on. Between the two of us, we're going to get a lot of stuff done, or he kicks my ass, we're going to be awesome. All right, Dungeoneers, you heard the record needle drop. We've got a little something special I'm going to sneak into the beginning of this episode. Uh, as you know, you you came to the party to uh, find out about Lady in Distress, one of the classic top secret modules. But, um, you know, I, I realized as we were getting ready to record that I needed to double check some facts I thought I knew about it. So I started reaching out and uh, tried to get a hold of one of the writers, Mike Carr, and last minute uh, was able to get a hold of him. And he was uh, he, he was kind enough not only to answer my questions, but to offer to come on and, and actually talk to us in person for a little bit here. So uh, I want to introduce Mike Carr. Mike, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to your listeners. Uh, we are so excited to have you on there. And uh, folks, if you're sitting there going, Baloo, ask him about this, ask him about that. Uh, his his heart is not immune to pleading, <laughs> and uh, he's agreed to uh, set up to come back on the show for a full episode uh, so we can really get into to some of this guy's history, because as you probably already know, his fingerprints are all over the early days of gaming, and, and especially the uh, TSR and, and most of the, the, the foundational products that they produced. So uh, so sit tight. We will we'll get to all that. But today, I, I promised him just a short interview, uh, sticking kind of to, to Top Secret and Lady in Distress. Mike, um, what can you tell us? I mean, f- from the outside appearances, uh, your job fundamentally at TSR was was mostly editing, but yet, I mean, there are several really awesome products that that you wrote or co-wrote. Uh, how did how did you get involved in Lady in Distress? Well, during my tenure at uh, TSR, which started in 1976, when I was about the seventh employee, so um, <laughs> all of us were wearing numerous hats at that uh, point. And as the things really took off and the staff expanded and so on, then I was into more uh, of a management uh, capacity, uh, but also one of the main editors uh, on the staff. And um, lots of different projects were coming through and being proposed and so on. So uh, part of my job and those of those jobs of my colleagues was to, to kind of winnow through the different things and uh, decide what had merit or was worth publishing and so on. And that is a lead into the top secret game. We got the proposed top secret game from Merle Rasmussen. And um, it was very, very, uh, I would say overly detailed and, uh, a little bit clumsy in terms of mechanics and that. So we tried to uh, streamline that with Merle's input. And, uh, you know, that's the result. The end of the result of that was the game itself. Alan Hammock was the lead um, editor on that. And I was uh, somewhat assisting in that. And I wrote the, the back cover blurb on the box and that sort of thing. So um, as far as the Lady in Distress module goes, the that was the second one that we, uh, we mean, Corey Kobernick and myself um, wrote and first ran as a tournament, top secret tournament at at, uh, at Gen Con. And the first one was the rapid strike that we came up with. And that was a success. And it was a case of 
you want to do that again? And Corey said, sure. So we <laughs> brainstormed a little bit more and that's, that was the result of it. So um, we tried to do double duty. If you're going to do a tournament module uh, or a tournament uh, setting or scenario for a convention, that takes a lot of work. So the fact that uh, if you plan ahead and for publication, you can kill two birds with one stone. You can have a great scenario for the tournament and the players, and and there's no uh, no better way to play test it than that way in the real world and see where there might be gaps or uh, problems and so on. Um, and so that's what we did in, in the case of Rapid Strike and Lady in Distress. We designed them for uh, competitive play at a convention with teams of agents and uh, that was the basis for then uh, shortly after the convention, we just put it into production uh, with the tweaks that we had uh, in, uh, had imagined or needed, and uh, that became the finished product. Nice. Um, quick question, kind of piggybacking on that. By the time I got into gaming, they didn't produce much in the way of tournament modules for sale anymore. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, that was you know a very common thing. Did a lot of people actually run them as tournament modules uh, out of their own home or their own local uh, uh, conventions and whatnot? Um, I don't think so. There was that much uh, of that. Uh, are you you're referring to the published modules? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they could be. You know, the problem is after you publish something, then everybody's got access to it. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm going to say I'm going to run a lady in distress uh, tournament and anybody can look up, you know, potential yeah. players can look up, they'll have an edge. An, an unfair edge actually so i don't think uh after you've kind of taken the wraps off of the scenario and that sort of thing that it's as usable uh on a competitive standpoint of course it's going to be great fun regardless and most people don't have access to it ahead of time and you know the whole thing with the modules is uh it should be the game master that has it the, the players that don't have it so that it'll be fresh for them and you know they don't have any sort of uh pre-knowledge or any sort of uh, advantage going in um with that uh later on in the episode uh when it's just the co-hosts and i the the listeners will hear us kind of discuss some of the some of the um structure of the game and uh one of the things that we were kind of debating or throwing around is the idea that you you start the module thinking you're you're going on mission a which is a infiltration of a villa and then right off the bat, you get a distress signal, the plane deviates, and you're going to mission B, which is dealing with these hostages on the on the corona. Um, was that a design feature intended for the tournament or for campaign play or both? But what, what were your thoughts on, in including that in the mission? I would say probably for both, because um, if you're a good game master, you want to present a, a challenging scenario, but you also want to throw some twists in there that the players may not be expecting. So uh, an example like that, you might prepare for a, a particular mission that you're expecting, and then you have a certain uh, accoutrements and uh, tools and uh, items, supplies, uh, weapons, yeah. and so on that you're gonna take with. And then, you know, then comes the curveball. Uh, you're actually not gonna do what you uh, thought you were gonna do and what you equipped yourself for. You're now gonna have to, on the fly, uh, you know, take on a completely different situation with what you have at hand and, you know, go from there. So I think it's a, it's a great twist um, that would be either for a scenario or a tournament, uh, you know, to, to present, the, present the players with something that they did not expect. And now, now let's see how they can deal with that. 
one of the things we were talking about was actually a question uh was what would the players have expected at the at the convention at the tournament when they're first introduced to it? sort of a question i guess about what the how the event is publicized and what the you know our players really just know they're going to our top secret tournament or they know they're going to raid a villa or you know somewhere in between what was sort of the if you remember what the uh yeah, for like the, the con setup was. or whatever yeah usually it's it's just you know build uh, with these convention descriptions being you know 30 words or less there's not a lot you can say right uh, about you know because they're all crammed in the book and so on so i think it was probably just build as a uh, you know, as a top secret adventure and come and be a secret agent and that sort of thing. So, oh, yeah, cool. I think yeah. Uh, not a lot of background ahead of time. But so I, I think with the tournament, at least the conclusion I came to, one of the, the main advantages to the flip around of the mission is that they don't have the map of the ship and it makes sense that they don't have it. Yeah, that would be obviously uh, if you're you know, doing something on the fly, you're not going to, you have not been briefed for it. So that really adds a, that's a major challenge. Absolutely. All right. Um, the module introduces this microorganism, aqua staphylococcus. Um, was there an inspiration for that? Um, you know, it's, it seems like it, it goes out of its way to talk about it being a microorganism and, and not really pushing hard into the science of it or whatever. Um, you know, what's the design features of doing it that way? And, and what can you tell us about it? Um, it was deliberately vague um, and meant to, you know, it's a bad contagion. I mean, do we need yeah. to know a lot more about the details <laughs> of it scientifically? Probably not. Um, and, you know, my regret was uh, naming it what, what I did, which was just quick and dirty. And uh, I have no background in microbiology so uh, someone who did have a background in microbiology in one of the reviews you know criticized that uh, you know the these designers picked a, 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 a gamer raking you name. over the uh, coals on details come on when does that yeah. happen yeah so uh so i will have to admit uh, uh it's, it's like in the in the rock and roll song by chicago uh you know saturday in the park which was a huge huge hit you know the they've got some uh, fake italian uh, lyrics in there that make no sense to anybody um, and, and of course they got they got called on the carpet similarly on a much larger scale than, than we did so uh, it was really meant to be a contagion we had to give it a name and you know I uh, I should have done more research to to use the at least use the proper nomenclature hmm. uh, so that's about all I can say about that it was a little had me a soul, minor man. I was like okay yeah that sounds like a disease okay yeah that's the bad stuff yeah <laughs> everybody knows staff is good you know, aqua, of course, is water, so it's liquid. But, um, you know, other than that, I can't tell you much other than it was, you know, just something we came up with and put it in there and, you know, didn't we didn't do our homework. But uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter. It was bad stuff if it got out, you know, uh, that's what, what you really need to know. Yeah. Well, I think it works in the in the game master's favor and the fact that if if it's something fictitious, if it's something vague, then you don't have people, you know, solving it with player knowledge and their own backgrounds and biology or whatnot. So yeah, and the and the the administrator or the game master in this case can he can since it's vague he can make it more detailed or, you know, say that it's uh, kills you on contact or <laughs> you know whatever he wants to do. So uh, it's probably wise to keep it vague yeah. for that reason. Um, 
the, the main reason I contacted you, the, the, the genesis of all this was there's this, you know, vague story that goes around about this particular module and how the the ship plans are based on the uh, Achille Loro, the Italian cruise ship, and uh, how, you know, it just a few years after publication of this module actually was taken over by hijackers. What, what can you verify about that story? Well, it's pretty much all true. <laughs> uh, when uh, when we came up with the concept of this, I went to the travel agency in Lake Geneva and said, do you have any brochures on cruise cruise ships? And the brochure they handed me, which did have a deck plan, which is exactly what I needed, uh, was happened to be the Achille Loro, which uh, at that point was like any of the other probably dozens of uh, other cruise ships, you know, uh, <laughs> plying the Mediterranean or, or elsewhere. So we took it back to TSR and uh, took out a couple of decks and we shortened it and kind of uh, customized it for our purposes. Um, so you want to have enough ship there that there's a lot to explore and, and uh, roam around on, but you don't want it too big where it's going to, you know, uh, be, I mean, at, how many staterooms do you need? Yeah. So if you got 40 staterooms and there were actually were, 100 staterooms that doesn't matter because 40 is plenty so we simplified it and uh, took some decks out called it the corona and uh, that became the setting for it and the uh, art department had you know with a real deck plan they had a great uh, template to work from and then of, of course when the actual Achille Loro was hijacked by terrorists a couple of years later uh, it was quite a shock and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the the fact that out of dozens of cruise ships that the one that we happened to randomly get uh, a brochure on happened to be the setting for an actual terrorist act later on i mean the the odds of that are pretty uh, pretty amazingly low and uh, <laughs> and so it was it was quite a stunning uh, stunning development one of the, one of the questions was whether there was any sort of Aftermath, it was just sort of you all realized what had happened or if there was any public acknowledgement or, or reaction or anything from uh, from that. I mean, it sounds like the, the ship would not have actually been easily recognizable from the module because of the uh, shortening and deck removals. Yeah, I think it's purely coincidental that it happened to be the ship that we used in our module. Um, as that story was unfolding, because it, it unfolded over a number of days and uh, there's a without getting into any detail, there's a great account of that whole episode uh, at Wikipedia uh, that if you're sufficiently interested, you can find out all about that, the, the, the lead up to it and the uh, episode itself, which played out over a number of days and then the aftermath. Um, but the uh, one of the things that happened at the time was uh, I, got a, I got a phone call. Uh, my roommate, Jim Quinn, I think fielded it at the time and said, you know, somebody called you from one of the network news organizations uh, about this hijacking and they left their phone number here and they'd like you to call. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's no upside to this. Um, I, you know, the less, the less connection I have to a real terrorist incident is probably the better. So I, I did not return the call and I still think that was probably the right, uh, the right decision. Um, in the setup of the module, the uh, passengers have been shunted into the ocean on lifeboats uh, starting, you know, before the, the players ever get on the scene. From the get-go, was that something that you and Corey uh, had intended to do or had you kind of 
played it back and forth both ways in the design process? Um, it was it was decided early that the fewer passengers, the better, and that's really for the game master. Um, otherwise, you get bogged down with, you know, these, these civilians are just going to get in the way, uh -huh. and it's a it's a tournament, so we only have you know two and a half to three hours to do this. So we need to kind of streamline it so they don't have to sort through the, the passengers or keep encountering the passengers of passengers or shoot a passenger <laughs> that they thought was a terrorist or, you know, so uh, we just re by removing the passengers, we got the bare bones of the ship. We got the bad guys on it. Here come the good guys by paragliders. Um, and so let's go at it. So, yeah, the, the, the passengers were taken out of the picture pretty early for that reason to make it uh, to make it playable. Yeah. Did you have a sort of a, a major? I mean, assume you this got run several times for the tournament. Was there um, sort of a predominant play style that you noticed of either you know the the players coming in and sort of trying to sneak around and kill people one by one, or try to avoid the gunplay, or like what was sort of the the mood of the of the play style for this tournament module? Um, the little I recall is that uh, the players are really challenged with, you know, here they're they're coming down onto this vessel and they know there's bad guys and they, they know there's some uh, contagion aboard, but it's mostly the first, I guess, the first third or uh, of the mission is kind of explore it. And since the agents are coming down in different places on the vessel, by a die roll or whatever we, we love um, that mechanic that was, oh yeah that, that seemed like so much fun I, anyway, well, thank you thank you i thought that was a great idea and i'm glad to hear that uh, that you like that so they have to kind of you know the first step is to find out where where you are as the agent where your other agents are and can you get together and uh, you know and start to tackle this mission and so on so i think the first stage is a little bit organizational uh, and then it's the exploration stage. And then, of course, you're going to encounter bad guys along the way. And, uh, you know, so that's what I kind of remember that everybody's got to kind of do the exploring and figure out where they are and, and where they're going. And, you know, is the is the uh, the main object uh, not a true treasure in this case, but uh, what they're going for is that down on the lower decks and, you know, just right. like in a dungeon, different mm -hmm. levels and that sort of thing. Yeah, we got to go down and get it. But you don't know that that it's where it is so uh, you got to figure that out and you know is it in a bottle or a, a suitcase or whatever um <laughs> and again that's up to the to the game master the needle to in the haystack, so, yeah. This into a, key. yeah putting this into a two or two and a half hours you're saying uh time context completely changes my my vision of this i sort of had in my head a you know a four hour uh time slot since that's what we so often have right now and it felt comfortable it didn't feel stressful sure. But thinking about this as a two and a half hour uh, <laughs> adventure where you have 15 or 20 minutes of, of getting your, you know, figuring out who you're playing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Here's your that suddenly sheet, puts the, that, uh, yeah. yeah, that puts the screws on. That's uh, it's kind of exciting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Get, I, I, off the top of my head, I would guess it was probably a three hour slot, but uh, I don't recall. Yeah. But, you know, nowadays you can go back to the Gen Con, you can find the Gen Con program books from that year and you could probably look up that event yeah. and see what was yeah. allocated. So. Uh, there's a little uh, homework for you to do. Yeah, Bill, uh, the gentleman wasn't able to make it for this part of the interview. Um, he, he's, like I said, an old timer. He's our, he's our alpha wolf uh, or gray alpha wolf or whatever a listener <laughs> quoted uh -huh. about him. Uh, but anyhow, he uh, he collects all the Gen Con programs uh, he attended. Uh, I can't remember what his first one was. I think seven. I think or it was something. this one. 
I think what he said it? this one. I think this one was his first one. Oh, maybe. 14. Okay. Oh, that's right. He did say that this was the first. Okay. So 14 was his first. Anyhow, uh, so he does actually on the on the part we recorded prior to this, he promised the listeners that he would go and, and pull his uh, his programs and see what the listing was for this. Because we had wondered, like, you know, did it sell it as the other mission? And then you, you switched oh, wow. it, you know, when it got to the table or, you know, what, what was the deal there? So, uh, yeah, I'd be curious. And besides, if you have a really cool collection of old stuff, it's good to go to it once in a while and yeah. use it, <laughs> use it to learn some knowledge or, or glean something uh, from uh, from your collection. So that's good. So I'm yeah. kind of curious. I guess off the top of my head, I guess it would be a three hour slot, but I don't know. To, to get in the weeds just a little bit more. Um, so the players get to the table, they're, they're dropping onto the ship. Uh, so in, in the tournament, it was still a random drop onto the ship. Is that correct? Yes. And also remember there's numerous teams. So there's numerous judges. There's, there's different administrators. You know, you've got, I don't know if the, the eight, if there were six agents or eight or what it was, you know, at the time. But uh, it's got to be clear enough so that all these different administrators in, in different rooms running the same scenario uh, can understand it and mm -hmm. uh, present it properly uh, and uh, without any significant omission. Because if the game master, if one game master leaves out a key detail, then that team might be hampered. Or if uh, any administrator gives away something, then their team might. Uh, in his room might have a, an advantage okay. over the other teams yeah. in the other rooms because it's all going on simultaneously. So, well, and that, that um, was one of the things I was wondering is like, I mean, cause that mechanic, like specifically the, the one that I remember is if you fall into the pool, the gal that's in the lounge that can see the pool uh, is suddenly aware that, Oh, somebody's dropping onto the ship here. Uh, uh -huh. So I thought, man, that could, you could really, you know, get, gain a pretty, uh, uh, pretty Big bad disadvantage, disadvantage or perhaps yeah. an advantage yeah, yeah, depending on where you yeah. drop but that makes for a good game a little unpredictability yeah. and you know and then and then the game master you know uh, these sorts of situations the game master has to do a lot on the fly not just the 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 players as well you got to think on your feet and you know be ready to uh, respond or uh, uh, make a make a decision because something did not go according to plan nice yeah um kind of finishing up with the notes i have on the module that's curious about we talked about uh the the terrorist group and the the leader uh Zhu, uh or, or however you would pronounce that i guess you, you got options as a game master um in the book it's left you know very much kind of open-ended that you know these guys have taken over the ship they're trying to get the the microorganism and um, that, that this this character has some deep-seated uh, desire at revenge. And it kind of leaves it at that, um, you know, design-wise. Uh, what's the benefit of, of leaving it like that? And then you personally, when you ran it, did, did you ever take it further than that? How did you normally uh, um, fill in the backstory? Um, it's revenge, obviously, is a, a key motivation for a lot of bad guys. <laughs> um, and we, I think we deliberately left it vague so that the, the game master could, you know, present it. And I'm thinking not just in the tournament, but mm -hmm. beyond is, is this could be part of an ongoing top secret campaign. Yeah, plug it into the um, campaign. Yeah. The, the game master, the administrator can present it any, any way they like. And, you know, who does, who does he want revenge against and why, and what happened to him? And so make your own backstory is kind of the, the thing where, and, and I think from a design standpoint, that's wise. You won't, you don't want to hamstring the, the game masters uh, by being everything too much decided ahead of time or, 
you know, send them down a, a, a confine uh, <laughs> of logic or reason or, you know, circumstance or whatever. So they can, they can plug this into their, their own campaign as, as they wish. Did, uh, when you ran it at the conventions, did you ever elaborate on it or was it kind of a, a moot point since the, the tournament was the tournament kind of thing? Yeah, it's a pretty much a moot point at that point. You know, you need, you need a motivation and you need to say what it is, but you know, we got a tournament to run here, so let's not get uh, too deep into the weeds here. So yeah. 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 And, and, and keeping it open-ended like that, I think provides a lot more flexibility for everybody. Much so. Yeah. Now, have you guys played this or have you run it um, yourself? So I, I own all the old top secret stuff and I've played most of it. This is one that I have not. Um, okay. Well, good. This, you know, do you have some players who like to be top secret agents? It's, I mean, is this something you could run in the future? Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I've got a group that uh, we're all kind of really big on just switching it up and trying different things. So uh, next time it rotates around the, to my position as game master, it might be something I'll throw down because it definitely, uh, it, it, you know, it's it's just eloquent in its and it's apparent simplicity, you know, the idea that, hey, you know, uh, we got this setting, it's confined, this is the circumstances, go, you know. Yeah, and hopefully they haven't listened to the podcast and we hope we didn't give, too, <laughs> give away too many details here. <laughs> oh, I, I never run anything as written, you know, that's. Okay, first... good, 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 good. Yeah, it, it is just, it's stunning that, you know, a real life incident occurred that mirrors what was in a game module ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's. How, how can you wrap your head around that? That's just amazing. So, yeah, I gotta say, I have ran um, Rapid Strike a million times. That's okay, that's like my fan favorite, you know, because there, there's so many things you can do with that, and it's it's so fun from the uh, prospect of uh, being able to front load it and say, Oh, here's a satellite image of the island, and here's what's what we know is going on, and and having that big powwow where the players are starting to strategize even before they get boots on the ground. So uh, kudos on that one, man. That's good. That's good. And that's part of the fun as the administrator or game master to listen to the players, you know, you give them this, that, and the other, and let's see how they deal with it or what the reason. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they cut to the you know core of it right away. And other times it's like, man, they're, they're really off base here, but that's kind of fun. <laughs> kind of fun as the, uh, as the game master to listen to them, you know, go in the right direction or not. So, yeah. And I think you asked, uh, um, when we talked originally about the setting as a ship and um, that's actually a great top secret setting because it's a very defined space yeah. and large enough to be interesting and needing exploration. But, you know, the edge of the ship is the edge of the ship. So sometimes with top secret in a setting, you know, somebody takes off in a Jeep and goes to who knows where um, and, you know, kind of throws you off as the administrator or some, you know, because the, uh, universe of the module so to speak is is not defined or is totally open-ended mm -hmm. things can you know go in any literally any direction so <laughs> with a ship uh you know this is a lot a lot better from a game manager master standpoint well, especially, especially so a defined ship that doesn't have any lifeboats anymore yeah <laughs> that's right yeah, we found that brilliant yeah. <laughs> you're definitely yeah. stuck yeah. on the boat there <laughs> that's true yeah good point yeah of course i suppose the agents they could call for a helicopter if they need one but uh yeah that's true yeah that's true so yeah, it can play out any number of ways. Absolutely. So, and that's good. That's makes, you know, a lot of potential outcomes uh, and unknown outcomes that makes for, makes for a good game. And it does. Yeah. 
Well, I, you know, I, I promised you a short interview, so I, I don't want to take up much more of your time. Um, any other thoughts on, on Top Seeker, this particular module uh, here in a moment? Um, I think Top Secret's a, a fun game. Maybe in the decades that have passed, you know, it's been surpassed by other other tops or other uh, espionage sorts of things. But Merle Rasmussen is still at it. I mean, he's still cranking out material and, uh, you know, he's a font of, uh, not just knowledge, but also imagination. So I think, uh, if your listeners are not really that familiar with top secret, they might be overlooking a gem. So I would encourage them to, to uh, get a copy of the game. And, uh, I think there's plenty out there yeah. and, uh, you know, run some of these modules or see what they cook up themselves or talk to Merle and see what he's got. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's did a couple of new versions and, uh, you know, I think it's 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 a design that's got legs. So I would say if your listeners are not deeply acquainted with it, uh, they might uh, discover a new game that they would really enjoy. Because we yeah. all like James Bond and you know all of that whole uh, that whole genre that never gets old. So who who doesn't who wouldn't like to do some daring do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when about the time this drops, that uh, new Mission Impossible movie will have uh, oh, yeah. come out in yeah. theaters. So. Uh, yeah, folks, you know your you know your players going to be uh, just you know Jones and for spy stuff. So this is a, this is a chance to to pull out a a game that deserves another look here. So absolutely, good. Well, thank you for the uh, opportunity to uh, come on, so to speak, and I look forward to being your guest to discuss any other number of topics that may be of interest to you and to them. Oh, yeah, thank, thank you, Mike. Sir. I have a whole a whole mess of questions bouncing around. I'm just just <laughs> pulling them in my in my arms here until we uh, get to talk again. So that was great. Good, thank you. Good. Well, I'm gratified that, like I said, people not only are interested in but care deeply in some cases about stuff we did, uh, you know, 40 years ago. So how cool is that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I, I wonder, you know, not to not to string you along here for for more content, but uh, you know, I wonder sometimes, like in, in the moment did you realize that this would be something that, you know, would go on and on and echo for the next, you know, three, four decades? I think we hoped that it would. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of role-playing, um, you know, was obviously even early on, you could see uh, and feel that it really had a future. So I would say, yeah, there's always the hope of that. And, uh, I think, you know, just, uh, there's just a joy to it. And, uh, it never gets old from a standpoint of, uh, of you know, wanting to play and being able to, you know, be a, a, a space explorer or a, a dungeon adventurer, or in this case, a secret agent, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you can, uh, you can really unlock your imagination and so much depends on the, on the game master, but here, a good game master, uh, do all you can to, uh, uh, give the pat on the back that he or she deserves because it's the game master that I would say is responsible for more than 50% of the success of, of any role-playing uh, mission or adventure or whatever it happens to be. So, um, you know, enjoy your fellow players, but also treat your, treat your game master. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. wise words. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on. And, and I, I certainly look forward to having you on and, and Merle, even uh, in our emails back and forth, you, you got him in and uh, he's, he's willing to come on and, uh, so we, we got a lot of a lot of good episodes in our future here on this old dungeon. Thank good, you. Good. Sir.
All right. Well, again, thanks and uh, look forward to doing this again before too long. Hey, everyone. This is Tim from Tomorrow Zen Podcast. If you're interested in post-apocalyptic moral project, then Tomorrow Zen Podcast is for you. You can hear us at tomorrowzen.org or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, and more. Dungeoneers, we are back with our July episode of This Old Dungeon. This is Lou Alu. I'm joined by our regular hosts. Howdy, this is Edwin. Good to be here. Hey guys, it's Bill. And uh, we are here to talk about many things, eventually getting to one of my favorite old RPGs, Top Secret. But uh, let's start with uh, what we're doing in gaming. Guys, what you been up to? I'll well, I'll be super fast. <laughs> it's been like three weeks since our last podcast, right? We're just yeah. That's too short for me to do anything. Um, I have not <laughs> gamed since uh, North Texas in early June, um, but I'm also out of town. I'm down in Florida, so my likelihood of getting anything done down here is much smaller. Um, just busy working on Paysetter stuff. We got a lot going on. We got a big news Kickstarter coming up with solo modules, so that might be exciting to some people. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think what else. No, no, just listening to podcasts, enjoying my summer, and and working. So that's awesome for me. I have my uh, my home game, which has been an alternating GM. We have a new new game master is running for us. Um, the um, oh shoot, I lost it. The uh, Acquisitions Incorporated adventure oh, yeah. stuff. Uh, so a 5e game and we a couple of us uh, took some of the kobold presses tales of the valiant character gen stuff they have some new animal inspired you know beast people kind of thing uh, so we're sort of play testing those and uh, so that's been kind of fun we we the uh it was weird though the first adventure was about the most old school linear monster hotel that I think I've ever played <laughs> in. And I was kind of surprised to see that in such a new publication. I mean, there is, oh, so this is, this is actually a, a pre-published adventure. This is that. a published adventure uh, put out by, I think it's wizards, right? Acquisitions yep. Incorporated yeah. book. By wizards. Well, it's, it, they they put it out right, but it's written by a third party. If I exactly yes, it's put out uh, written yeah. by third party, but it is literally go down a hallway. Here's a thing. Deal with it. Go out the other side. Go down another hallway. Here's a thing. Deal with it. I don't I don't think we had so much as a choose left or right, except like do you want to go clockwise or counterclockwise when you circle the uh, the room? And it's sort of interesting. One of the things that's been interesting about that is how fast we're moving i mean we're just cranking through it because there's no like there's no discussion it's not like well do you think we should do this or no it's just like well i guess we go forward okay we've gone forward here's the thing let's figure it out so there's something kind of refreshing about it even though it runs counter to all adventure writing <laughs> advice that you know we sort of think about these days 
Um, so that's been kind of fun and fun to think about. Now, are you using one of the Kobold Press uh, animal characters? Yeah, so I am playing, so we actually pushed it a little harder rather than being, so I think the way it's written, you're supposed to be sort of a human-ish or a person with animal traits, uh, but we just went whole hog, so to speak, so I am a baboon, uh, <laughs> you know, a talking baboon um, fighter, fighter, yeah, and then we have a rat person who's, you know, whatever, five foot tall, um, who's our cleric. And, uh, and that's, so that's been a hoot too. Cause there's a few, there's a, it's a, it's interesting. There's a enough complication. So we started at third level and the fighter is for a fighter, moderately complicated in terms of, you know, what kind of stunts I can do and having to keep track, you know, I can do three of them, I think between rests. And so I have little, you know, it's sort of like a monk with key points, except there's okay. no points. It's just whatever. Um, and so that's yeah so there's enough stuff going on and then the each animal uh style i guess you have sort of a dexy animal or a strong animal or a smart animal whatever and i chose a dexy animal and then i decided the baboon is an example of that and it gives me a claw attack i think and it gives me some other stuff it gives me the ability to communicate with beasts um maybe that was no maybe that's my wilderlands there's also they also have a they sort of broke background and race into three things and you sort of put them together in any way you want to get all of those ability you know all the attributes abilities whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. um so and it's kind of neat it's sort of been a fun they put out sorry what that's all in the same splat book yeah that's all in their play test player's handbook um book valiant stuff right yeah. 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 So that has been interesting. Then I think I have my normal uh Skype of Cthulhu and the uh Hills Deep. No. Stonehill. What? Stonehill. Oh, Stonehill. Yeah, Stonehill's going on still. Yeah. Uh that's been good. We got back into that recently and we're on level six for that. Um and then we're impossible landscapes, uh Delta Green, uh with um with that crew is we are one die roll away, I think, from knowing if we have just accidentally ended the campaign or not. <laughs> and we decided to save that die roll for the beginning of our next session instead of the end of the previous session. So, um, oh, yeah, so we'll find out. Yeah, what do you do one... if it's ended? I mean, you, you roll up new characters? I mean, <laughs> well, that's, that'll be the discussion. Um, but I, well, so one character, there's a thing in, in uh, Delta Green where it's effectively a like a turn over the body mechanic uh, you know we don't know if this character is dead and so we'll find that out and then the other character uh just set off a big explosion and the gm has not let us know uh if the character got out of the way or not um the character was not uh had just suffered a breakdown i forget what it's called in delta green but um so we may be down two out of three characters or we may all three of us be alive and well and i think that will make the difference between whether we carry forth or not because i think it would be a hard one to i mean obviously you could start it up again but the depths to which our characters have suffered over the parts of the it would be weird to come in with a fresh character with 
multiple uh, fresh characters that were right. just sort of like la 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 life's good uh at this point i think nice so That's cool. what are you up to I, yeah i remember reading uh when the acquisitions incorporated book came out it's got a very different cover for wizard stuff it's kind of cool yeah uh, i liked it and um I, I i haven't read the thing front cover to cover but i remember skimming through it and saying wow this really is different from what they put out so it's you know people use that uh the term I hate, uh, railroad adventure, right? Right. I mean, honestly, it's just so misused. It, it is that way, right? But it's also fun. It's just different. It's it looked cool. It looked really cool. I was definitely intrigued by it. So we want to hear more of your feedback on that for sure. Yeah. Well, as we play it, I'll let you know. I, what I'm really curious about, and I don't know if we'll make it, um, is you know that it has sort of the old school uh name level play like right eventually or ghostbusters like eventually we're supposed to start our own franchise and we're supposed to like right now we're just taking missions and we've only taken one mission we've started it uh but we're supposed to start a franchise and make decisions and do all that sort of domain is that what it was called domain level play i I, dude i'm less of a 5e guy than than anyone no 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 no. i'm talking i'm talking one yeah Back, you know, when you like, you know, when you became a ninth level fighter, name level stuff. Okay, name level stuff. Like, like, I think this, this, uh, I think Acquisitions Inc. Not the rule set, but the, the, the setting has that sort of name level play concept baked into it because you're supposed to start your own business and and make money whatever you want. So we might be hiring people to do missions. I don't know, but so I'm curious in a few levels and i don't know how long that will take for us whether we actually make a transition in game style from being grunts going on missions to being in charge of a business and what that feels like and uh, i'm interested because like i said i i I know i skimmed through that book for you know more than skimmed through i read some sections that i was i was very intrigued by i thought it was a really cool different i like different takes on dnd i just do yeah doesn't be crazy stuff but i just and it's not I, i it's a pretty innovative thing. And I, I like things I've never seen before. I've never seen anything quite like that. I thought it was interesting. So I may have another, another fun one to tell you all about next time. We'll find out. I'm, I'm uh, in discussions with, uh, with some interested parties on it. So but there's not another cool uh, take on, on the sort of D and D storyline. I think might be fun, but all right. I look forward to that. I, I myself uh, had one, one session of uh, the, uh, Ravenloft RPG there, the Curse of Straw that we're playing through, and then uh, you know how like sometimes you've got that guy in the party that like never shows up and always has an excuse and all that jazz. Something always comes up for him. Well, that's yep. been me, <laughs> <laughs> and I I failed yet again this last Sunday. Uh, we had some family coming to town on Saturday, and it was one of those deals where you you have so much fun. You're like, well, why don't you come back tomorrow? And then it just kind of you know went right through our game time and all that so uh i think uh i think i missed out on one of the one of the guys we play with has never game mastered for us but we hear about other games that he's run for other people online on his facebook page and it always sounds so amazing and i think he actually ran for a change and i would have loved wow. to have been there and experienced <laughs> that but uh oh well life you know nice i heard some uh some nice uh gm advice the other day i think it was on fear of a black dragon which was basically if you never cancel your game because that one person can't make it, that one person will start making it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is true. You know, always meet no matter what. That's one of the first rules of keeping a group together. Yeah. 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 Just like a podcast, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs>
We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from. My opinion is letter writer is a total wacko. Well, guys, uh, we, we got a couple letters here. Uh, Edwin, wow. I kind of feel like I, you're kind of becoming the designated reader, if that's okay with you. Edwin is the best mail reader. That's why I'm not even <laughs> attempting to say I'll help out in reading them because I'll be terrible. So Edwin, I will get. I will give it a shot here. We have two letters today, so thank you for writing in. We'll start with John Williams, who writes, "Man, I totally get into the universe and setting of the Starfleet Battles game. I just can't get into the game." Oh. I was. In <laughs> Bill was cheering there for a minute. Then he was heart was broken. Uh, <laughs> I, I was introduced to it when a call to arms Starfleet came out which was much more simplified. You only track shield points, hull damage, and whether any special orders change your general rules for each ship you use. So it's like so easy to play with 10 ships in a fleet against another fleet. If I could grok GURPS, I would be into the RPG that they have more. I would be, I would be, yeah, anyway. Instead, I mainly use the GURPS books they have for Prime Directive RPG as source material for other rpgs i really think it's a shame more people aren't into it all right bill you get to respond yeah. to this one because <laughs> i i'm all went over my head <laughs> exactly the, the the one thing i do want to i mean I'll, I'll comment on the starfleet stuff i'm a little confused by the last half of his email but um so the one thing i'll say starfleet has a couple different uh introductory versions they have a one called the cadet training manual and i'm not as familiar as the one he just he's referencing here other night i know it was kind of an introductory yeah super basic introductory thing but to me um i think it does a disservice to learning a game i think you when you want to learn a game like starfleet bells i, I hate to be this way you should get thrown in to the whole <laughs> freaking thing lock stock and barrel because that's the beauty of that game and if you don't ever get exposed to that i think if you get exposed to just like oh here you just roll some dice and blow each other up um, well, that's all fine, but that's not Starfleet Battles, okay? And I think you don't get a chance maybe to fully understand what that game is about and why it's a, to me, it's a beautiful game. But, um, you know, it's, I understand like rules like versions of things is sometimes a good way to introduce people, especially in, I think maybe RPGs if you've never played an RPG. But I also think it takes a lot is missing. And I think in this case, um there's just way too much missing to, I think, get a a full understanding of what Starfleet Battles is all about. And you well, know. son, I've uh, here's the rule book, and I'm gonna lock the door. Just uh, give me a call in a few hours. If you figured it out, <laughs> we'll let you out. Otherwise, I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> that's that's not what I'm saying. Uh, you know, but I, I say through experience, right? Through being with people that know it, yeah, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, sit down and play with a bunch of people who are play play the full game, and you you learn all the different aspects aspects of Starfleet because that's honestly what makes it such a an amazing game and why it's endured for 40 years is because there's so much variety to it um I, I think that's kind of what makes it a, a great game but I, you know as far as the GURPS and Prime so Prime Directive for those of you who don't know what that is which is probably a lot of people Prime Directive was uh Task Force idea of producing a role-playing game in the Star Trek universe you're kind of playing in the Starfleet Battles universe, though. So that way they didn't have to tread on Star Trek IP so much. They could just use the IP that they were allowed to use. Um, it never went over very well. It's got a, a core rule set, a couple of modules. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of good setting stuff, I think, involved there. But I mean, I beyond, feel like GURPS is super famous for being GURPS is super generally famous. for being good source material for other games. Right? Yes, it's the opposite, <laughs> right? So, you know, GURPS is, you know, obviously also much more well-known, much more played. Um, you know, I don't even know a lot of, I mean, like I said, I was really involved in Starfleet Battles Universe. I don't know a whole lot of Starfleet Battle players that played Prime Directive. I mean, just didn't. It's just different worlds. But uh, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm a little, like I said, I'm a little confused by that back end of that, that question. Yeah. But so, uh, so it's interesting. Like, I'm glad he brought Prime Directive up because it's, it's kind of a neat, neat little side spinoff of Starfleet Battles. Uh, it just never took off like the core game. Uh, not even close. So, so if I'm following things right, Prime Directive originally was from Task Force, but then GURPS acquired that oh, license I don't, I, it, this property. Is it, so this this must have happened. This most likely happened in my uh, black hole of gaming because I, <laughs> I, I I have a, I have a gap in my you know gaming life. And it looks like uh, it's like two thousand two is when this happened. Definitely, yeah. So that's yeah, definitely in the heart of Bill not being involved in gaming whatsoever. <laughs> um, I didn't come back until around two thousand eight. So I was gone from the late nineties till around 2008. So um, I had no idea that they sold off uh, prime directive. That's interesting. Um, but it does, it makes a little sense because task force games dissolved um, prior to that. So um, not hardly, not a lot of their IP is actually, I mean, it's, it's out there, but uh, no one's producing it other than Starfleet battles and Amarillo design bureau, who was a, a part of task force is still around and they're producing all that stuff. But. That's interesting. Interesting to know. I did not. I wasn't aware of that, but I am now. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, John. Eddie Bartlett writes about art. I was thinking about the cost of art, as we all do, right? I was thinking maybe the only people that can really afford to do this are artists. If you draw, and I think by this he means books. published yeah. books. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, if you draw your own art. And he puts in parentheses free labor, which I'm going to object to strenuously now and <laughs> later, uh, and then hire someone to take these, say, 18 images and create a story around them. This article has a hypothetical book costing $2,500 for art and $500 for the writing. Since the artist stands to make more, maybe they should do the Kickstarters. Ha ha. The other thing this brings up to me is, man, it'd be kind of cool to get 18 images in a bundle and have to work back to the story that explains it all. I'm a bit, I'm a bit excited to try it. All this is said with love and respect to the artists. It's just something I was thinking about and who actually stands to make the most money. So right. this is, a, I mean, this is something that's been talked about in the publishing world for a long time, right? It, it, but you can come at this from several different directions. So, um, when, when you're producing an RPG book, as all of us know, we're all in that industry, art is a massive, you know, it's a massive cost and your debit side. It's always going to be that way. It's, it's probably your, other than producing the actual books, depending, and actually that even depends on how many books you're producing. Yeah. Um, art is probably going to be your, your, lead. your largest yeah. debit going into any project. Uh, it's most of your costs, you know, your, your non- book production costs, the majority are always in art. And, and that's just how it is. Um, so do they, yeah, I, I, I kind of see what Eddie's saying is, you know, you, you pay your artists a ton of money, but they're absorbing none of the risk. Well, I don't necessarily- Well, that, that. but yeah, that's, that's the not true part. 
right? Yeah. Because, you know, if a book sucks and the art doesn't do what it's supposed to do, you know, as an artist, you have a reputation and you're, you're, your, your art is well I, I would say more, more more so than that i would say that any artist that we would hire has probably has thousands of hours at risk for sure in learning their trade before we would hire them so they've already put at risk uh, a tremendous amount of of time and uh right. you know there's it's not it's not you know yes it's true that in the moment sure they're putting whatever five, 10, 20, 50 hours at, at risk or something, but that's, that's nothing. No, it's not. And it, I mean, your the art also does so much. If you've managed it well and you've, you've set your artist up for success because that's important too, right? I mean, they, they can't work in a vacuum. If anyone's tried to have an artist work in a vacuum on a project, that's not going to end well for, for you or for them, um, you know, they, they need direction, they need guidance, and they're also gonna come up with a ton of things that you haven't thought of. Um, you, you know, they also have to, have, uh, you know, as much as I say guidance, they also have to have like, uh, their, their ocean to play in. Um, their, their art, if it's done well, is gonna benefit your project to such a degree. You know what a great cover, you know, a great cover mm. sells. I mean, it's just, you can have it's the greatest this. idea in the world, but if your cover sucks, your book may not do all that well. So, but the opposite um, is also true. If you've got an amazing cover artist and your book kind of sucks, you're still going to sell a lot of copies up front, uh, especially on Kickstarter. It's just, that's just, you know, that's our business model today. So I don't know. I mean, I, not, I like not the sucky book part, the Kickstarter <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah, ooh, yeah, he did kind of. <laughs> not the sucky book part. Uh, but, you know, I, I like the second part of this question, which I'd rather talk about a lot more. Uh, in that yeah. the the idea of hey commission hey artist here's a concept draw me eight to give me 18 illustrations on a general kind of like desert right the desert stuff you just say draw me 18 pictures uh in a desert and he submits your you get your 18 pictures and then you got to design an adventure module around those illustrations i think that's fascinating i mean i would have i would have so much fun doing that i just read about a game where the you basically start with an image and the players decide first what's going on in the image like they just sort of start spinning stories based on the image and then they develop characters to deal with whatever they decided was going on in the image and then i think it's the new is it the new money cook game maybe could be i don't know i don't remember anyway and i thought yeah but it's the same same idea and i've also thought about i mean i shouldn't say thought about it, we've done it uh, I mean, like for creature generation, like every once in a while, I just say, draw me some creatures and I'll, I'll figure <laughs> out some stats, you know, I'll yeah. figure out stats and uh, everything else for them yeah. once we have a cool picture. Yeah, I need get, draw me some crazy stuff that lives in the ocean. Right, right. right. But I, I know I like the second part of his question. I think that's um, that's kind of would be an interesting study to do, you know, but yeah. um, I mean, it is true. I mean, at the end of the day, art is art is going to be your most expensive non-production element of your project pure and simple and that's and there are a lot of cats out there that are, are able to do it to, to do their own art and you know There's write some, their own Lloyd, books Lloyd, Lloyd Metcalf is one of them you know he yep. does he does pretty much his all his own art with his own projects but you know does, uh, day, does Casey do that I know he does some art but I don't know I know does, he does more art does. direction 
He's done a couple of Kickstarters, Casey Christopherson, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hasn't he done a couple? Uh, Aaron Creeters won in the DCC MCC realm, and, okay. and he knocks it out of the park. He's a great artist and a great writer. Right. Um, but uh, I, I think for me, like, like I, I, I 100% get where he's coming from. I think to myself oftentimes, man, if I could just really, you know, learn to do the art thing, wow, you know, I could, I could actually make some money then, you know. Right. But, uh, but like Edwin's saying, you got the time investment, and uh, not just in the, you know, the, the idea of, you know, developing that skill, but also in the product itself. I mean, we all know yeah. how long it takes to like hammer out a you know, however long 32 page adventure or whatever, and that, that's some time commitment there. But then to have to illustrate it too, you know, all of a sudden the amount of projects you can put on your, your docket for the years being cut down. Um, yeah. And they're serious. I mean, if I had to choose from, from, in terms of money in the bank, if I had to choose between uh, working my day job and hiring an artist or <laughs> working as an artist, that's a pretty easy choice. I mean, you know, like, you know the number the number of hours I would have to spend, even if I were good as an artist, is is a lot. And the amount of food I'm going to be able to buy with that time is, <laughs> you know, especially if I'm putting my own food at risk there. Um, yeah, and you know, like I said, I'm 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 just going to totally speak from the uh, the business like the the business order end of end of it from my perspective. And, and like I said, you know, the the artists we pay our artists very well. Um, we we actually give them bonuses if they get stuff you know, done on time, or we think the product's doing well, that kind of thing, but um, because it's worth it to us, you know, good art is, is, is worth, I think, every penny you spend on it, um, and at the end of the day, you know, I think what Eddie is also saying is, you know, well, they have no risk, they've got nothing, they're just getting paid, and they're on their way, well, that might be true, but they also, the reward end of it's also on the other side of that, right, so, yep. you know, they're not, they don't have any risk in their product necessarily, right, like, like you do as a publisher, but they're also not going to benefit as much from the reward. If your Kickstarter blows up, right. You know, I mean, your Kickstarter is also whatever your Kickstarter is a million dollars. You thought it was going to do a hundred thousand. thought it was going to do 50,000. That was a million dollars. That artist still got paid his 2,500 bucks mm-hmm. in Eddie's yep. description. Right. So you as the publisher did a much, much better. So, um, so there's, there's two sides of the coin no matter how you look at it. Um, but you know, at the end of the day for the, getting you know into the nuts and bolts weeds of rpg production and publishing art is your art is always going to be your biggest expenditure it's a scary expenditure because you're you're i know frog god does this i know a couple other companies do the same thing we pay when when the art comes in we pay our artists we yep, actually sometimes pay our artists before the freaking art comes in I do so, half, because, half before, half on completion. So, yes, we've we've done hundred. We we paid them complete before we've ever oh, wow. seen anything with some of our artists. But um, it's um, but that's just part of the that's part of the game. I mean, that's just part of it. And um, you know, so I, I understand it can be scary. You know, you're out, you're laying out a bunch of money early on in a project, but at the end of the day, you know, just uh pick your artist well, make them a part of your family. And, uh, you know, you're, you'll do, you'll do just fine because, uh, you know, in the, I, again, I come from the construction world and it's the, the business of construction is not that much different from the business of publishing at the end of the day. Uh, you have subcontractors that you use for a lot of different things. You find the best subcontractors at the best price, but once you get them, it's like a, it's like a marriage. You don't ever want, you don't want to let them go. So 
you want to get that those good people working for you and you want to hold on to them and keep them and you do that by treating them well and as long as they're doing their job well then you keep that going because the value of having that relationship over a long term is is it's a lot it's worth a lot of dollars you'll never you'll you won't mm-hmm. necessarily realize that you're saving just because you're not having to hunt other people down try right. somebody else who might not work out you know uh yeah, you figure out the communication part, you figure oh, out the schedule oh, part, you figure mm-hmm. out all that. Yeah. All that. And you know, the 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 artist world, right? I mean, our art half of the artists is that we use from Pacer don't live in the United States. Um, it's just that's the way the world has become. And it's not because of, of any other reason. It's just we've, you know, worked out with with a couple of artists who um we know that we can ask them to do something and they do it. And that's a that's a big big deal in art okay because not all artists are the same they're they don't always work on the same time schedule as the book publisher might work on so finding people that that work and are dependable it's it's all that's important so mm-hmm. um, but i think one of the things that that is um i guess one of the ways that we sort of try to mitigate a little bit of the, the risk side but of course it puts the the schedule side is that, you know, we are often trying to buy art sort of as late as possible in the process because we don't want to spend all that money too much before we're going to recoup yeah. it. But on the other hand, that means we also need to work with artists that will get the work done when they say they will, yeah, because we, and, yeah. you know, we're not trying to rush them. It's not like we're saying, do this for me tomorrow. But if you say you can do this in a month, well, our schedule says that it's going to be done in a month and we're moving forward. So there's I think that's part of the, like, whereas writers will often uh, talk to, you know, a year or two years ahead of time and say, yeah, okay, go ahead, write it. And they say it's going to come in in June and it comes in in August or September. Or, yeah, okay. It's it's now it's in. Now the clock's ticking. We've, we've sort of paid our first check. Now we've mm-hmm. got to get the project to completion and out the door. One of the things I find interesting about buying art is, is that whole communication piece you guys were talking about in, in, how big of a difference it makes whether or not an artist pays close attention to to what you say in your description and stuff like that. There's, I found that to be an interesting thing. How you know even even really good artists sometimes don't take the time to thoroughly look at what you've sent them. You know, paragraph wise. Yeah. Uh, and, and ask them uh, pertinent questions that maybe weren't answered there. Um. And then you get to piece back and like, oh, this just isn't going to work. You know, I was trying to tell you this or that or um, so that's that, you know, going back to what you guys were saying, once you get that relationship where like the communications there and you got that understanding and there's the reliability factor and the turnaround factor of, you know, from from, you know, commissioning it to, to production. Um, big points. Well, on the second thing that Eddie said, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, and that's never an easy conversation, right? It's like. You get the you get the final piece in, and you're like, "This just isn't what we were envisioning for this mm-hmm. project, right?" Especially like cover design. Sometimes you know the sketches came back, and you're like, "This is going to be really cool." And then you get the pre-final version, which obviously the artist was put a ton of work into, and you're like, "No, this is not not where <laughs> we want to go." Um, and you got to go back, and it's just you know. So they like like you were saying, Edwin. I mean, they put they put hundreds and thousands of hours into their craft just because you ask them to draw something they might draw that 
thing 10 times before they get it right, you know, before they, we, we might even see it as a publisher, yep. you know, so there's, there's a lot of time and energy put into that. And, and this, and I can tell you right now, I have a ton of respect for artists because I can't draw a straight line to save my life. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he's never found a ruler. Straight's easy. It's a perfect circle. That's impossible. I'm going to tell you right. I probably still couldn't draw a straight line. Even with a ruler. So that's, that's how bad I am. Okay. <laughs> So, and I know, but I, you know, you've got to know what you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, yeah good, there's good points. And I think I heard, you know, what you're saying too is sometimes you're, you're, you're through a project and you're like, holy shit, we need another art, piece. you know, layout person, you know, shoots a thing, say, hey, you know, there's a half a page blank here that's working out. Do you have anything? And you got to get on, you know, you got to send that email, say, hey, I need a half page piece of art. I need it tomorrow. You know, I mean, that was <laughs> so, um, I, I, I get, like I said, overall, I get what Eddie was saying with, it yeah. feels like, you know, at the time you're spending a lot of money early on. Definitely. On his second point, I'm yeah. nowhere near this as far as my company goes, but at some point, I think it'd just be so cool to have like a little, a little contest where you do exactly what he's saying there. You, you have your artists or artists or artists or whatever, um, one or more, <laughs> generate just some random, somewhat thematic, uh, pictures and you have this contest that okay you know write an adventure around these so many pictures and then we'll we'll you know kickstart that that uh, adventure and and all proceeds you know go to the the winner of the contest kind of thing i, I, I love that idea lou i think you should do it um <laughs> because financially it scares the shit out of me but um <laughs> uh i think it'd be more of a fun in-house thing to do than yeah. It's like the New Yorker had the uh, uh, caption this cartoon mm -hmm. competition where they'd publish the blank cartoon and then people would send in all their, yeah. their ideas. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think it'd be a fun, it'd, it'd be, be fun, fun exercise, right? the, it'd be great exercise. Huh? Yeah, yeah, great writing. It'd be fun to see all the different adventures that stem from the same yeah. list of or same set of images. And that would be, I think that would be really cool. It's sort of like, I guess it's sort of like the, uh, you know, uh, tarot deck inspired game stuff or any, you know, any sort of yeah. that kind mm -hmm. of creative prompt where you're just sort of putting stuff down and then trying to work out the well, story or a story into a story. I yeah. think what we've done is giving it, if there's any kind of, and I, I'm out of this, if there's any kind of gaming, was a folio still around? They still doing stuff like bi-monthly magazines. If there's a bi-monthly gaming magazine out there, I think we just gave him a great idea. Get commissioned like six pieces of art. Publish, publish it on one page. page. Yeah. Publish it on one page and then tell everyone, send us an adventure based on these six illustrations and we'll publish the best three or something yep. like that. That would be fun. I think that would be a that'd be a great Super. exercise. All right. So oh, we don't have any pictures. I was going to tell our our, uh, our listeners to send us your best adventures based on the th our, our three pictures. Uh, on these here. 18 right. sounds. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right. And we'll do nothing with them. <laughs> I think uh, that closes out the mailbag. So uh, we we've uh, made record time to the, uh, the the main piece here the this old dungeon all right this old dungeon your 
only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. All right, so um, taking oh my goodness, I can't believe I didn't write down the viewer the uh, the listener's name. Um, Eddie, you guys remember Eddie who Bartlett was it? it was uh, John was it Williams? What? Oh no, this was last week. Oh, yeah, last, last oh. time I do have it here. Um, original Craig S. Yeah. Okay. So riffing on Craig's suggestion to do a little top secret. Uh, Bill suggested uh, a couple adventures, and we all decided to do Lady in Distress, one of the original top secret modules, uh, modules TS-003. Um, when do you guys want to introduce it, or how, how do we want to play this here? Sure, I, I could do it since I was the one who suggested it. Um, so uh, behind the scenes, I, I was we were talking together as a group afterwards, and I said, um, you know, I, I know a little bit more about original top secret, I guess my, my two, uh, esteemed co-hosts here. So uh, they said, pick the best one and pick the worst one. And I, I suggested lady in distress was the worst one, um, which we moved into because it gives us more room to do this old dungeon. So, but I, I'm going to address that because it's really not the worst one. I don't think now looking at it 40 years later. So <laughs> lady, in, lady in distress written by Mike Carr and Corey, uh, Kopernik. It was originally designed for, Gen Con 14, which yep. was 1981, which was my first Gen Con. I did mm -hmm. not play in this tournament, uh, which bums me out because actually it's sort of been a blast. Uh, I did play in the D&D tournament and another D&D tournament at, at that Gen Con, but not, I didn't play in this. Um, so originally was a tournament adventure, uh, and the uh, basis for it, it was written for the first edition Top Secret, by the way. Well, I, it was came out in 1981, so this really probably would have been First edition Top Secret had a, a, a second a revision. revision. Yeah, yeah. It, it, very small changes and modifications. Really, you yeah, like the boxes even look identical. I think yeah, it's just like the, the, the size of the box is different, and the the, the width around the picture on front is different. And the logo's different. The is it? first printing Top Secret has uh, their old wizard logo. Um, oh, that, yeah, the company logo. That's right. Has the has the wizard logo on the book and the box. The second printing which is where they made a couple of errata changes has got the angle TSR angle logo on uh, one or both. You'll have, there's Frankenstein copies of them. And then the third <laughs> printing of the first edition, which is also all has angle on both book and box. So that's more information that most people ever care to learn. Uh, so this was, written stop now. For, <laughs> this was written for the first, <laughs> what we do folks. This was written for the first edition of, of top secret, which is, and Bill's opinion is the best version of Top Secret, um, <laughs> mainly because it's a spy game. So this is an espionage game. That I don't know if people are familiar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the background. So Top Secret is an espionage game. You basically play a, uh, it, when it was written, a James Bond, Emma Peel uh, style uh, secret agent. You're not a superhero. It's none of that. And uh, you do cool secret agent stuff, basically, uh, with thematically kind of like the movies okay sort so, of a special ops type sort of, stuff well that's a different the change i'm going to tell you about here is that top secret was more of a spy espionage game and it as it moved along in the later editions it became more of a commando i mean this yeah. this adventure is pure commando right yeah, there's this, no yeah, and this is this is why i said i didn't like it originally because gotcha. this adventure is when... all command it's not um 
it's it's way out of the box for regular top secret and i think mostly the reason they did that is because it was a tournament adventure and they needed uh action action combat's gonna what's gonna run a tournament well and i think i mean like merle rasmussen rasmussen excuse me when he made top secret in college in his dorm or whatever Uh, it it was one of these games that you don't see much of anymore where the players aren't necessarily on a team. They're just playing characters in a world that are kind of interacting. It's a lot like kind of Gangbusters yes. does this too. And so you would be a spy from this country and they'd be a spy from that country and you'd be given your objectives by your administrator and they'd be given theirs and you're interacting with all these NPCs. And so like that that first module that I always get the name wrong, uh, Spreckle. Hassle, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, it's just basically, you know, a little spy city where there's all sorts of contacts and stuff. And it went along like that for a little bit, but very quickly kind of took that hard turn into Mission Impossible, um, you know, commando yeah. raid type yeah. stuff. Yeah, for, for sure. And if you read the original real study, I mean, you, when, you, when you go through character creation, I mean, you're encouraged to make characters from all over the place, you yeah. know, from different countries you could have a kgb agent and you could have a cia kind of ex-cia guy and then you can do the you know the england mi6 guy i mean you can make all kinds and you interact you all kind of fall into the adventure together as it as it were uh so that kind of creates a lot of fun dynamics of it like again we're we're lady in distress departs here is this this is this is a commando mission this is just a seek and destroy um adventure which is uh not what again that was why i recommended it's kind of the worst because that that part of it's really bad but i'll get to the parts that are actually really good too um as we move along here but that that's the basic thing for for top secret it was definitely designed to be more of an espionage game than a shoot 'em up all the time game because it's it, top secret is incredibly lethal so um, for those, you know, again, for those of you who haven't played first, especially these first edition top secret, uh, if you get into a gunfight, somebody's dying yeah. and, uh, it, it, the agents die a lot it, 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 when gunfights happen, your character's life expectancy in this game is, is very poor. Um, <laughs> when that, when, uh, the guns start coming out. So, um, it's not like D and D where you can get into a combat and just, get beat up a little bit and move on to the next thing. That, that's not how this game works. Um, it, so again, it was designed for more of that role-playing espionage feel um, with just enough of the combat in it to, to make it fun and dangerous. Um, so Lady in Distress, we can kind of get into what it's all about. Is, yeah. Um, it's uh, basically your agents. It, it's got a twist, but the twist is before anything even happens. Your agents are supposed to go do this one mission and the in the stupid, middle of it, stupid twist. Yeah, they get. Well, they see, get, now I thought it was brilliant. Go ahead and you, you say your part, but I'm going to defend it. Yeah, right. for a tournament, for it a seems tournament great. Brilliant because you equip your characters, and then because they're telling you you're doing one thing, and then you, you start to play your description. Okay, we're starting the adventure, and you're doing something totally different. So instead of storming this castle or whatever the hell it was going to be, you're now parachuting onto a cruise ship in the Mediterranean. So, and you get that is, call mid flight that, oh, we have this more important target that we got to deal yes, with. Yep. We're redirecting it. This cruise ship has been hijacked. All the passengers have been put in lifeboats and kicked off the, the cruise ship. Um, but you, there is a uh, literally a mad scientist on board with this uh, um, 
biological weapon that he created that he somehow brought onto the cruise ship for no fucking reason. Excuse my French, but um, so he brings this chemical weapon on this cruise ship just because he's traveling from where from one place to another. He's not the nefarious guy. The nefarious guy are these hijackers who just coincidentally decided to hijack this ship. I don't and, think it was a coincidence. No, I think they knew, no, no, they knew. Yeah, they, they knew he was on there. Yeah, they hijacked in order to get and the, the the chemical. I want to say like he was he was going to be selling yeah. it, wasn't he? I had to reread that part. I don't I don't remember. I kind of skipped over that. So there was something weird also that he was about to get picked up by the yes police maybe in the next port of call, and so the hijackers get him before they before they get to that next port of call. Yeah, they're going to Genoa, Italy. Oh, that's yeah, right. He, he right. had the, the, the Spanish authorities were after him to shut down his labs, and so he was yeah. fleeing the country in on the cruise ship. That's right. Right, and the folks in Genoa were going to arrest him. Yeah, we so learned. Yeah, he's got these four jars of this lethal disease that makes no sense. Makes not a lot. Of, you put it in salt water, and it becomes contagious. The name of the ship is the Corona, by the way. So. <laughs> it's coincidence. I did like that. <laughs> Um, uh, and there's a, there is actually a very fascinating twist to this module, which we'll get to in real life, in real so, life. Real quick um, on the twist there, where, where they get diverted. Um, yes. I, I love that for a couple of reasons. Now, I, I will admit that it's not as clever in a, in a uh, tournament module as in a regular module. However, I don't really know how they advertised things back then. I know nowadays you go to a convention, it'll give you the little blurb about what things are about. And if it was like that back then, I think it's still brilliant. Because you get your, oh, your tournament teams thinking, oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, when we get to that villa, you'll do this, I'll do, you know, and they, they get to like pre-planning or whatever, and then it's all out the window. So I guess I if I sign up for a game because I'm excited about storming a castle and you tell me I'm going to a boat, I might be pissed. Maybe. <laughs> but it's a tournament game, to, so you're uh, really there to, it's to a test tournament, your skills. Yeah. Right. It's a tournament, but I'm going to, Luke, you get me a great thing. So when I get back to Michigan, I am in Florida, guys, so I apologize. I have nothing with me down there, hardly. I will pull out my 1981 Gen Con program and look to see what the description is. And uh, I'll put, make it, I'm going to write this down, make part of my homework. Awesome. Uh, see what it actually said in the event description. Because we'll see if Edwin would have been pissed and walked away. Or exactly. would have been all right. I mean, so. it depends. If I signed up because I wanted to be in a tournament, <laughs> yeah, who cares? But if I signed up because I wanted to storm a castle, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, I got a feeling but, the description was probably But long story but short, I mean, it at least gives you a way to change the, the parameters of, of the conflict, right? That, oh, yeah, these well, characters yeah. are going in there, and they're not equipped for this mission. They're going to have to figure out how to that's make do with what they got. That, that's the idea. The, the, right. The, no, and the, I, think, I think, like, actually, because I, I almost think the reverse, that if I were running a campaign and a message came you know and i were like yeah we're doing this thing we're doing this other thing and this became sort of an emergency side quest that seems awesome to me yeah. because then it's not a bait and switch it's a you know it's actually just an interruption and you're going to go do this thing and yeah you're not quite as well prepared as you want to be like that all seems really yeah. fun then yeah no but i agree it plays shot, better in campaign mode than, yeah. than tournament yeah, as a one shot it seems like a meaningless like first of all in the tournament you get pre-gen characters with all the equipment you can't change it so who cares what you thought you were going to do? You don't like, this is your character. This is the gun you have, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter. And right. yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess maybe there's a little bit, but then I, I feel like rather than uh, tell a fake story, I would just give no story. Like if I wanted to avoid people planning for the mission, I just wouldn't tell them what the mission was. I would just say, 
Come play top secret. You're going to have a miss- mission. Just, just and have it's a the, the listing be all redacted with black ink. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You will yeah, be exactly. black ink, black ink, black ink. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Hopefully you'll survive. <laughs> I think that would be better. So that's, yeah, that's the basic backstory is you got to parachute onto the ship, take down the terrorists and find the contagion um, that the, that this doctor has squirreled away somewhere on the ship. Yeah. So and hope your, hope your stray bullets don't, don't open the mayonnaise jars. <laughs> um, so but that but to me this is where the whole thing breaks down is that um i 100 agree with you guys i mean why you know, i understand that's how it was for the tournament and that's whatever okay but when they produce it into a module this would have been so so much better if the agents would have had to infiltrate this cruise ship because they knew this again this doctor was they found out he was gonna be on it and he uh. had this Chemical so they're at play for the same thing here. the terrorists are. So now again, this is this is what where the game makes sense because typically your agents are not all from the same. You're not a team like like mm. you said earlier. You're different agents from different areas, and you might even be a privateer agent, whatever. But so all these different agents would have different disguises to come on this cruise ship, and then you you can play all that espionage by trying to find out. Where's the doctor? What he, he might be in disguise. He's got to be, yeah. All kind, and then you put you put. And then terror- the terrorists show up. Yeah. Or you put them on the terrorists are actually on the ship too, and and you know on day two they're trying like the first couple of days they're trying to find it the same way you are right. They don't want it. It's a big ship, a lot of people. But after a couple of days they get frustrated and they're going to hijack the whole freaking thing. So yeah. you know you put a timer on it. You know the characters could find out. Hey, you know what? I think there's terrorists on this. There's 20 terrorists on this boat. We don't know who they are, but yep. I, you know, we caught one of them or I found this message. You know, there's all kinds of fun things you could do with this to, to create that element of something bad is going to happen. Or, you know, the, the doctor's on a suicide. He goes, I can't, I'm not going to get away. So I'm just going to kill as many people as I can and release my germ on the world. And, you know, there's all kinds of fun clock ticking things you could do with this and yep. put them on a ship where there's, Innocents are everywhere, right? There's normals everywhere. They just can't start pull a gun out and start shooting. Shooting them, yeah. um, Where it's essentially where this module, as written, they parachute down on the ship and the guns are out and you just start, the shooting doesn't stop until basically all the terrorists are dead. And right, you've got to get, yeah, there's only like 10 hostages or something in a room. Yeah, Everyone else yeah. has been sent off in the life. I did Everyone like the, I right. did like the, I didn't, I mean, it was, I wasn't so much sold on getting rid of everybody. Uh, by sending them off in the lifeboats, but I was excited that there were no lifeboats. That that part mm-hmm. seemed kind of fun. Like that, <laughs> that part's good. Um, but again, you could do that too. The terrorists could have, uh, you know, cut, the first they, they could have they could have like, sabotaged them all. I mean, there was uh, that's a great idea. I mean, there's so much fun stuff you could do with yeah. a cruise ship full of people, right? Yeah. I think this adventure would absolutely glow with that. To be fair, the, at the at the end of the module, they give you about ten adventure ideas. They seem a lot of those are great. One of those yeah. are as a crucial of people. So, um, but as written, it's not. As written, it, as written, it's a bug hunt. You know, you you drop in, you're just hunting down these terrorists and you shoot them up. Yeah, um, and I think I mean that's the one thing this this uh, module has really in spades is it's this great shell, this great setting. You know, oh, yeah. well well designed cruise ship with you know the the rooms all pretty well described. Yep. Um, and then you know what what all could you do with it the sky's the limit well so great history on the module so now we kind of walk, walked into like this cru- crucial thing so this ship is basically uh patterned after the achille laurel and if that if that rings a bell with some of our listeners out there 
that ship was actually hijacked two years after this module came out in the Mediterranean Sea by terrorists. Um, so it's a true story. Uh, and I believe, I don't, I don't know. I, I, something tells me, I think, believe TSR was paid a visit. Um, <laughs> they were, they, they initially when top secret came out, they were paid a visit by the FBI mm. because something got flagged in the mail with this game and with the passports on the cover of the original edition, something like that. They, uh, I don't remember the whole story. I should, I have talked to Merle or Alan hammock and, and refresh my memory. But TSR headquarters was paid a visit by the FBI when Top Secret the game came out. Um, but this came out two years after the game, and then two years after that, the, the cruise ship, which is basically what the Corona is patterned after. And by the way, they in the credits, which are awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they are. They really don't credit anybody. Um, they do credit the travel agency, Express Travel of Lake Geneva. <laughs> so they must have went to the travel agency. Got deck plan. I'm sure that's where they got the deck plans for the ship. Yeah, yeah. So it, yeah. So we know the story of the adventure. The story's piss poor. You really got to do a lot. I think a lot with this to make it fun. Otherwise, it's it's just to shoot them up. Um, which the, is the not one, what this game accepts. The one uh, lurching detail that to me is, uh, if you're going to play this, you got to figure this out ahead of time, is that the the, the terrorist organization ha has no goals, has no backstory. Nothing. Uh, I mean, basically, it says this is a revenge mission for them. <laughs> revenge for what? You know, what's well, this guy like mad about? How's like, he going to solve it with the virus? You know, it sounded like it was a revenge for a sucky life. <laughs> like in terms of the, the what I what I the little bits that I could find in there it was just like the leader's life kind of sucked, and so he's mad at the world. Like it was like supervillain stuff. Yeah, that that was it. There, I mean, you literally could have dropped twenty orcs on this cruise ship, and it would have been just as compelling. Uh, yeah. as bad guys is what they did. I mean, it's as vanilla as it gets. So like I said, I I, I know if I would have ran this, um, I didn't run Top Secret in my group uh, when we were kids. So another one of my friends bought this game and he ran everything. We never played. I don't think we ever played this. I remember reading it later on in the mid to late 80s. Um, and I just didn't like it. And I probably for this reason. But I think now looking at it, it is a great, great resource. I mean, you could do so much. I mean, the maps that they've generated for you to use here. I mean, this, you get an entire cruise ship, you get, uh, uh, which could be a modern day, essentially 2023 cruise ship, you know, albeit a smaller one. Um, there's, there's some great tools in here. Um, there's, uh, I don't know, just, I love it for that. I mean, you could use it for almost any game. You could use it for champions, Call of Cthulhu, any, any kind of modern yeah. game system. Uh, there's some great components to this module. It's done. It, it, I love that about it because they, they went the extra mile. Um, yeah, no, it was, I, it was I, an I, impressive. Um, I was also impressed with the, I guess with the author, like the stuff that's short and sweet is short yeah. and sweet, but, and then the room descriptions or the areas that are interesting, like the, the, the words, yeah. the, the choice, the number of words for the amount of information was just almost right on everywhere. I was never reading and being like, oh my God, this is going on forever. But I also wasn't left uh, hanging. Yeah, it's definitely not an article of its time as far as that goes. Because, you know, at the time you would be used to, oh, we're going to get a bold-faced room description on every single room. And then all this information about, you know, what may or may not happen there. And uh, so, yeah, I, I picked up on that too, that it was, you know, really hit that sweet spot of enough information to roll with quickly. It's yeah. really, it's it's put together really, really well. And, and to go back to... Uh, 
to Eddie. It's got some nice art. Well, I wanted to talk about the art. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you're very weird. Weird seeing. Like, yeah, go, go ahead. I was going to say, it's weird seeing this art from the, from these artists. Yeah. Exactly, right? You, you, you look at a piece of art and you're like, huh, it's okay. Holy shit, that's Jeff Easley. It yeah, and the other one's like, Elmore, and then it's Easley again, and, and then it's Elmore. Elmore. <laughs> and I think I think Holloway got in here. I think um, this oh, last he? page here. Now oh, where is it? I saw one on here where I was like, "That's got to be Holloway." I'll tell you right now. I I keep I've almost convinced myself that the cover's Holloway, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because it's not credited. Well, and um, I just looked at looking at, at looking at the Easley and Elmore work in here it's er, this has to be one of the first projects those guys ever did yeah i mean it's it's definitely yes it's realistic black and white but yeah. i just noticed like on page six those two illustrations that's actually one illustration yes yeah and i thought yeah. wow that's really nice it took me yeah, a little while and it to lays it that. out for those of you listening it, it lays it out as like a guy at the bottom of the ladder and a guy at the top of the ladder and the two pictures are split so that they're in different corners of the page so it's kind of cool your your eyes kind of want to follow follow the trail there i kind of like what they did there yeah i feel like i feel like there's the bad guy at the bottom about to because those two at the top we actually see in a Later bunch on, of yeah. scenes i think they're the they're the heroes so we have that agents, yes. sort of early idea of seeing the same agents multiple times and it and it did a nice job of helping me understand like they chose well i thought which rooms got art because it helped me understand some of the some of the areas he, uh, the knife wielding terrorist. He, yeah, he he is definitely the terrorist because he's described later in the book. Mm -hmm. you know, exactly. Yeah. This guy loves throwing knives, and that's definitely that dude. But yeah, it, they do a real good job with the art in here, and um, it's the same male female agent, and it's drawn by Easley and Elmore in different different pages. Yeah. Uh, totally different, but I mean, I, this is this is not a knock because I I love this old school art. But this is just so different seeing Jeff Easley mm. not draw D and D stuff. Yeah. what it looks like, and especially I mean, this is this is clearly early in his in his career. Um, I mean, the one the proportions look a little off to me, but um, it it I had to do a second take when I was like, holy shit! And like I said, I know those two guys did not come to TSR till right around this time period. This has to be one of the first projects they ever did um for tsr yeah uh, same with steve sullivan he drew the maps of the ship um so steve came in right around there too um hmm. the, the one i was thinking was holloway's action in elmore one i i just now saw his name yeah tucked away and, and that's why i'm thinking i think i am um, that cover looks it might be i know we're doing an audio video podcast but um google the module people look at the cover and your first thought's going to be Jim Holloway, but yeah. I'm, I don't know, this, I, when you start looking at the interior fix, this could be early, easily for, it could be. It'd be the four horsemen coming together here. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, One thing, I, I, jumping back to why I changed the mission in the, you know, beginning of the module here. One thing I do think it adds is the idea that they do not have a layout of the ship. Right, and so they're yeah. they're moving around the ship, not knowing where they're going, not having any intel whatsoever, um, until they get to that room that has either the model of the ship on it or the big poster of the ship on it. Um, which, in case all of a sudden you've got this like the greatest treasure ever for these people trying to hunt down these yeah. terrorists. 
That was funny, yeah, because even the, uh, they're very specific that even at the exit areas, there's no map here. There's just instructions <laughs> on how to leave the ship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh... Well, so here's, here's the part I've written, the, the part I love about the parachuting in. It's the only that was, I like that mechanic yeah. a lot. I love that mechanic. And I, they, so that what they have is they have a, an illustration of the cruise ship from above as if you were parachuting in. And they have, you roll percentile dice. And they have all these different locations numbered on that on that drawing, and that's where you land. And not all of you land in the same spot. Yeah, you're gonna land all over the freaking ship. You this can land might be. Pool. It's so cool. It's such yeah. a. Cool well, and yeah. there's certain places if you land, you automatically you know trip the uh, tip off the the terrace, yeah. like the pool. Yeah. The the pool actually has this cool thing where it's it goes down a level and it's like glass encased. So at the bar, yeah. you're you're looking at the inside of the pool and the people swimming. And so if yeah. you land there, the lady in the bar that's a terrorist, you know, oh, hey, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> there, yes, it is. It's it's a blast. I, I absolutely love that part. Um, I think I, I think this is one of the few the, the few times I would be tempted to actually do a uh, a drop a die drop thing where, as the player, you take your whatever d six or maybe a d twelve if you're feeling mean, and you hold your hand like a foot or so over the map where you want to land. And you drop yeah. the die, and wherever it ends up, that's where you actually land. I think that'd be super fun because that sort of would would uh, you know go along with the idea of your parachuting in, and you're, yeah, you're aiming for that spot. Anywhere. Then the wind comes up a little, or who knows what. And... Yeah. One thing I wanted to throw out there, so I I bought this adventure. I don't know, um, maybe late '80s, and I also got in a at the same time this adventure here. Uh, this is from Task Force Games. It's the Delta Force series, and it's called Terror at Sea. Now, this was actually published in 85 or something like that. Um, so it is uh, it is much... Oh, no, I'm sorry, 88. Uh, so it's much later than uh, than what uh, uh, Lady in Distress is. But it's, it's virtually the same adventure. Like, it literally huh. has this really awesome layout of a cruise ship it's a it's a little bigger of a ship than than the uh, achilles loro or the the corona um but it's the same principle you it's got you know the, the, the one thing i like better about this than the one we reviewed is one it has a uh, a sea map it takes place in the mediterranean mm -hmm. and it's got a sea map of the area around the ship and what isles and uh like friendly nations and unfriendly nations and stuff are around there yeah. And then it also has a lot more um, in it as far as who the terrorists might be, what their their, their plot might be. Um, and uh, it also goes into details on all the bases in the area, friendly military bases and what equipment they have available. Uh, because right. in here you could like, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a, a campaign, not a rushed uh, tournament style module. So you could try to like radio those bases and, oh, we need, you know, this kind of ship to come out and, you know, or this plane to fly over or whatever. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. It's a different take on it yet. It's super duper similar. Well, Del Del yes, it is. And Delta, Delta force was task force. It was a, it, it is what it is. It's, 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 it's based on the Delta force American military thing. So it is definitely more of a commando shoot up game. Yeah. RPG than this. Um, but yeah, I, I was I was not with Task Force at that point anymore. I was already gone. But um, after Delta Force, I wasn't part of their RPG industry anyway or section. I did mostly their war game stuff. But 
So the other thing I just figured out is the reason there's 10 hostages is because there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Yeah. (laughs) So they've got every every character uh, starts with a different letter of the alphabet, and they've got the 16 terror. Well, they've got the captain and the like three cruise director, whatever. But it's they've got 26 characters plus the the doctor. So they got their their yeah, chart on the uh, back cover is what he's talking about, where it has all the all the character stats listed and all that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I already went over what I would this old dungeon is basically. I would put the, I would put exactly what I said. I, I think I would put the as much as I love the parachuting in mechanic part of it. It's it's just so much so much fun. I would I would sacrifice that to make this an adventure where it's a it's a love boat kind of thing, right? Where everyone's just coming <laughs> out at the very beginning and. You know, all the different cast people are are showing up on the ship, and you have this whole cast of people, and you got to still do the same mission and just put different timers on it. Um, you know, the crazy ass doctor, a bunch of terrorists, all your own agents. You could even throw a couple other uh, competing agents in. Um, I think you could have a lot, a lot of fun with this based yeah. on this whole concept and idea. You know, like I said, you, every, you have to get this figure. You got like three days to figure this all out because otherwise the cruise ship's going to dock. The crazy ass doctor is going to get off and try it, you know, whatever. Right. Either the doctor so leaves with might, his thing or the terrorists leave with it. Somebody leaves with it. He's going to yeah. expose everyone to it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I kind of, I, I love it for that. But that's, that's it. That's what this I would distill dungeon for. But like I said, they, they have a lot of cool ideas in the back uh, of this module. There's about a dozen of them of different um, adventure hooks and a different adventure. To do on the boat. Well, they also, I thought they did, I thought it was nice. They did give you just enough information that if you want to run the, the thing that was promised on the, Mm -hmm. on the, on the can, so to speak, you can still run that too. So you could actually make this a side quest, but there's no, there's no connection there. And I feel like if I were going to publish something where I'm having this sort of, drop-in mission that breaks up some other mission i'd want to have a little bit of connection something interesting that connects those two missions rather than because otherwise there's no reason to say what the other mission is you may as well just say they're on a mission who cares what it is and this and they get this call go for sure and i I would also say that the terrorists are very vanilla like i said we talked about that earlier they they they're they it definitely needs a lot of work there with some more characters um yeah they need to go give them this you know we always complain about how you know less uh culturally aware things were back then um the module does not lean into the middle east uh very much um the the terrorists are a pretty good split of both men and women yeah um a lot of different nationalities it's it's uh, i thought that was kind of cool yeah and even the what personalities well even what personalities they have didn't seem to be split uh, between the men and women in a in a sexist kind of way like the now like yeah. female there, combatants with, female yeah, smart would, yeah but wizards classifies today is problematic there's nothing in here like that it's, it's very vanilla i keep using that word but it, it really is one thing i ran across uh, when i was looking at the the events of the the actual cruise ship there the Achille Loro, um some of the terrorists on it were actually juveniles uh, you know how like a lot of times there's, you know, in, yeah. in some third world countries, you know, kids get swept up into that uh, military thing pretty early on. I, I know that's a real divisive sort of thing, but I wonder about it. Like, you know, w- would that make it more interesting or does that just, you know, put people in an uncomfortable spot to be like, oh, you know, you notice the guard up on the rail and 
looks to be you know a 12 year old kid you know uh, doing his best to hold up a, a machine gun or whatever um, well I, I think um this this is where people might be shocked by my response but i am uh as much as i am a go get them and have fun with it and all that kind of stuff my personal thing is i always avoid kids in, yeah. in, in anything i don't and that's just my personal taste probably a lot of it is I don't want. I don't like it in D and don't like it like the old. Uh, well, you're a pal and you walk into an orphanage with a bunch of kids. Okay, <laughs> you don't even. Why even set that context? Up? I'm mm. the kind of person who says I don't. I don't need it. I don't want it. I'm not going there. Uh, so I think I would. I understand what you're saying, Lou. I get it. It could be compelling to, uh, you know, if your players want to deal with that kind of thing and that's the kind of thing they enjoy doing, go have fun with that. I'm just of the. I'd rather just not even see it. Mm -mm, that's just again. Approach. That's my personal taste and i get the reality of it because it is a reality of it you know well and uh, i i like it i mean i think in the same way having uh passengers on the ship uh sort of changes the tactics and ideally reduces the machine yeah. gunning yeah i think that that potentially would have a similar idea of of you know turning the play style away from just wanton violence and so they're, they're like that might be again for the right table that might be a, yeah, a nice right add to it that's significant. That's a fair, yeah. Yeah, that's a, yeah that's fair for sure absolutely before we leave it um there's a little bit of chuckling over the the um the virus or what have you. In fact, it's not a virus. It describes it as a microorganism called yeah. aqua uh, staphylococcus, which staphylococcus is a bacteria. So I don't know if they intended for it to be a bacteria or not, but they always refer to it as the microorganism. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about that. On, on the one hand, you know, if you make it anything real or if you, if you pin it down and, Oh, this is a virus, this is a, you know, a protozoan or whatever, you always get some dude at the table with too good of an education and then they've always got some hot way of, of you know, being like, oh, well, we don't got to worry about this. You know, we just got to do this one thing and it's all solved, you know. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think? I, I don't know. I, I think if you were writing this in a modern game, you'd probably, yeah, change that around a little bit. Um, I mean, they, they do talk about things you can do to turn it off effectively to kill it or, yeah. you know, to protect yeah, yourself. And <laughs> so, you know, that's that's in there. But. I, yeah, I guess I don't, I mean, I think it depends on what you want your game to be about, right? Is it, is it about, in this case, it's obviously written to be about hunting down the terrorist mm -hmm. and not about, and, and, you know, they do have some things in here where there's a X percent chance if you're shooting in this direction that your stray bullets will, uh, yeah. will break open the, the containers of stuff. And uh, it, it's, I think it's more of a MacGuffin-y kind of yeah. thing in here, right? It's yeah, not, yeah, that's what I was getting at. It's not really like the, the mechanics of not getting sick or not exposing people didn't seem like it was meant to be an interesting part of the game. Yeah, there's no, it, there's not really any, like you, you would think there'd be a whole page on yeah. discussing right. it, the it, got out and all that. It's, it's not for the original top the secret. Point. Um, I mean, you know, the, the agents that appear here are a little different than what you typically would have at a table, or at least what I experience. Yeah. Because in typical top secret fashion, everybody is is pretty um, codified, right? I mean, like you 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 are the you know demolitions expert, and you are the you know um, con artist, and whatever, you are yeah. the you don't really typically have a big wide spread of skills. They're very specific and and really yeah. 
you know, you're, you're really good at this and not really good at anything else kind of thing. Very, it's very true in Drop Secret. It's very true in Drop Secret. So I think like giving giving some things like that, that oh, we're going to need a biologist to figure this stuff out. We're going to need, yeah. I think that would be important if you're running it for a, a free range campaign here. Yeah, no, it certainly could be interesting to have something more, maybe something with a longer fuse on it that's leaked, yeah. you know, so there is some, you could, you could definitely play with that. I, um, I, I, I think for me, summing it up, I, I like I said, I, it's one of the, in, in, in some ways, it's one of the, not one of the great TSR modules. I think there's only five or six that they did for Top Secret, but it's also a great, great resource. I would absolutely recommend picking it up. If you can get it, get it at a reasonable price, uh, there's some great stuff in here. Like I said, I, I think the ship deck plans and all that kind of stuff, as detailed as they are in the room descriptions and all the rest of it, man, it's just a great resource. And it's a great read. It's a fun read. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know I'm a guy who likes to read this old stuff. So um, I, I, I actually recommend it. I recommend picking this up if you can get it, your hands on it. Unfortunately, you can't get it through drive through They don't have it listed. So um you're gonna have to go to ebay or some source like that to get your hands on it so but that, that but that's all i have for leading distress at this point so huh? we're gonna start distressing oh. our, our listeners we keep yammering about the same thing i think so <laughs> all right well shall we move to geek credit we let's do it hey hey you do you have any geek credit So we're supposed to, uh, before we do this, we're supposed to decide whether we're playing for John or Eddie. Yeah, 50-50. Edwin? All right. Uh, low is, so I'm rolling a D4, and low is John. And that comes in at a 2, which is low on a D4. So. <laughs> all right, John. So Bill's on the hot seat for John Williams. And to be fair to all our listeners, I dropped the ball and didn't give these guys uh, any ideas for geek credit till about two hours before this podcast so so i went i went straight to uh sorry john i went straight to the ai and i said give me 15 trivia questions about tabletop role-playing games and the first one was what is the most popular role-playing game and the second one was i don't know <laughs> I was like who's the publisher of the most popular role-playing game <laughs> i was like okay those are not gonna work <laughs> i love them <laughs> they were your kind of softball yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Go for it. I'll, I'll lead in. So uh, we're talking about top secret. So, um, what villain named tongue in cheek after a James Bond villain appeared in a 1981 Dragon Magazine top secret adventure? So, which one of these villains was was named after a Bond villain and, and appears actually in an adventure in Dragon Magazine for top secret? Was it Silvertoe? Was it Quick Job? Was it Dr. Yes, or was it Blowhard? Those are awesome names, all of them. <laughs> Silvertoe, Quick Job, Dr. Yes, or Blowhard? I'm going to use all four of them in my next adventure. <laughs> I know, I'm loving it. I'm going to go with Dr. Yes. You're right. Yeah, the island of Dr. Yes. It's uh, awesome. actually somewhat famous. They even did, well, did like a, a, a sequel to it. There's like three Dragon Magazine Top Secret Adventures, the Missile Mission, the Island Dr. Yes, and then there was another one. That's, I there's Wacko one. World. There's actually, I think there's like six or whatever. I, I'm I'm there's a big fan of it. But, uh, I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. Island of Dr. Yes. Mission. Very good. You got one point. All right. Got one. All right. All right. Well, I did I did uh, take two of the uh, 
AI generated trivia questions. And here <laughs> is one of them. We'll see. This is all modern stuff. So I know I'm be protesting our here. podcast now. Good going, Edwin. Yeah. Um, what is the name of the most famous? See, they're all the same question. Tabletop role playing game podcast. Ooh. So A is the Adventure Zone. B is Critical Role. C is Nerd Poker. And D is the Dice Breaker Podcast. So the only two I've ever heard of, to be absolutely honest with you, is going to be Critical Role or Dice Breaker, right? That yep. was your first one. I'll stick with Critical Role. You got it. Wow. And then I, I went. Think... I went back and I was like, "Are you sure? Can you tell me how you know this? I don't even know how you <laughs> measure it because I'm sure that we are only know. like just like a little bit below few, Critical few Role downloads. in terms of our popularity. It probably are. So, like I said, the only two I've ever heard. So. neck and neck <laughs> this old dungeon <laughs> critical role <laughs> hey at, at one point we were number 10 in canada uh, you know that's all i gotta say you know awesome, awesome. Uh, all right so two points all right Lou. <laughs> now now is critical role a podcast i, I know it's a, a live stream I got my but... point, so we're moving on okay i got it. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh we're gonna jump into D D for a minute um which of the following does not appear in the classic adventure, The Keep on the Borderlands. Okay, I'm gonna give you some monsters. Tell me which one was not in that uh, adventure. Wow. Gnolls, trolls, bugbears, lizardmen. Which one trolls. was not in The Keep on the Borderlands? Trolls. Trolls is correct. He's got it, wrapped it up, three of them. Awesome. Now it's just icing well on the cake moment. I was hoping they were all gonna rhyme. <laughs> All right, so these are the easy that, ones. That was, a, that was a lucky one because I we're doing a huge Keep on a Borderlands project. So oh, I've been nice. all over that for the last six months. <laughs> I was hoping I could get you on the lizard men since they don't actually live in the Caves of Chaos. They but, don't. It's just the one yeah. dude, yeah, a couple few dudes out in the swamp. But I knew they were in there because we got a, we're doing a – anyway, we're, we kind of ran it at Texas. We did a Keep on a Borderlands thing. So we're doing four regions around Keep on a Borderlands. We're doing all the benches. Lizard men feature prominently in one of them. Will it uh, connect up with um, the the Blizzard adventure? Is it that same setting then, or is it? Did you redo yes. the whole thing? Yeah, it's it's a it's a, like a it's after. So the PCs have already cleared out the uh, uh, the caves. Yes. So this takes place. So we have an adventure called Blizzard on the Borderland, where they they come back like a year later, and this winter hits, and you know it's still it's winter time, but this massive blizzard hits, and uh, there's this revenge plot to take the keep down the pc's getting boiled in but then we have now we got four adventures that we blew the map up around the keep we got four zones the northwest you know you just you can figure it out um with four different adventures related to uh the keep and what goes on at the keep the castle and gets murdered in one and you got to figure out who killed him uh cool. it's a drow cult kind of thing and oh, anyway. cool. Yeah, but uh, so anyway, long story short, I've been all, I've been all over keeping a boy lands the last <laughs> one, so I got lucky on that one. Thank all you right, guys. We'll see if you oh, get... for, for a prize, I'm going to oh. send one out this, oh, cool. this month if you guys don't mind. So um, we have, uh, and I'll you have to send me the contact information. If uh, I've got five copies of Things Better Left Alone, the that Holmes module that we just did. And the five I have are all signed, and there's a little mini illustration in it, but from Chris Holmes. Oh, cool! Oh, that is awesome. I'm gonna send our I'm gonna send our listener one of those. So awesome! Yeah. All right, John, you heard it, man. 
I've got that one. It's a, it's really cool. A little look into gaming history there, and it's a fun little model. Oh, it's so fun. We've got a, uh, uh, we'll talk about some other point. We have a lot more homes coming. We um, uh, Chris Holmes has found some more stuff. Um, oh, awesome! And uh, so you're you're literally this old dungeoning stuff. It's not <laughs> even hypothetical. You're just doing it. <laughs> yeah. No, we got a lot going on with homes, so we're doing a. Uh, we're basically going to do a campaign, an entire campaign. So this uh, things better left alone was fourth to sixth level. We're going to do a first to third level, which takes place in the port town up above, kind of based on Maze of Peril with Evil Wizard's Tower and the graveyard. And then we've got another dungeon level, and then we've got this island adventure that is with the Amazonians and all that kind of stuff. So oh, wow. a lot going on with it. We're really excited. Uh, um, we just love the fact that there's so much actual home stuff that now can see the light of day. That you know. That's fantastic, man. So, yeah, fun. Cool. All fun stuff. So we're going to put Bill through the other two questions? or I've Yeah, got, we've got to. All right, so here's one more for you. Uh, roughly how many Powered by the Apocalypse, Apocalypse games have been published? 100. <laughs> That's right in his wheelhouse, man. I know, I know. I was trying for it. 100, 500, 1,000, or 5,000? 100. I found 900. Oh, oh. That was why I asked the question, just because I was blown away. That's insane. It's insane. Man. Now, I don't know how many of them have been purchased ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe with that many games, rule sets out there. I don't know. It's amazing. I don't, I don't yeah. know either. That's, that's a crazy number. All right, Lou, what's your last one? All right, we'll finish off with some more top secret here. Um, which top secret product got its own comic book spinoff? So I'm going to list some of their products. One of them got a, uh, a three-issue miniseries comic. Uh, which of these uh, led to that? Was it Free America by Scott Knowles? Agent 13 Source Book by Mark Akers? The Final Weapon by Ray Winger? Or Operation Seventh Seal by Evan Robinson? Agent 13. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I know so Mark uh, Akers. I work with them at Paysetter a little bit, so I know Mark. So. Oh, cool! But yeah, when uh, when they had the whole TSR West with uh, Flint yeah. Dilly and them, and and they started the comic book uh, company, they decided to take that. Uh, so that's set in like the '30s. It's like a pulp adventure spy genre kind of thing, and they they ran with a, a three comic book uh, series on it. So, ah, very yeah, good. Mark, Four Mark out of five. Mark. Mark was a great guy. Like I said, he's original Paysetter, not not. Not our new pace setter. Mark was a founder of the original pace setter. So and I knew him from back in the day doing stuff. So awesome. All right, folks. Well, uh, awesome. This brings us to the end of another episode. Uh, we'll hopefully be seeing you all back in, uh, it's already July. We'll hopefully be seeing you all back in August. Uh, maybe have some uh, guest spots on uh, for August coming up. Um, it's been great. This is Lou Alu. That's Edwin. Take care all. Good night, everyone. You have been listening to This Whole Dungeon, a podcast about reviewing and renovating great adventures and rule sets from throughout the annals of gaming. The views expressed by the hosts are simply that, and shouldn't be taken with any serious amount of gravity. This program is copyright 2023. Happy gaming! Happy gaming!